All right. Good morning. Good morning. Bless you, Idlewild Bible. My goodness, it's always good to be here with you. For those of you who don't know me, my claim to fame in Southern California is Dennis Cavanaugh. Well, it's actually Jesus, but he comes second. Okay. Yeah. Sometime I'm going to, there, there's a little uh, feedback. Uh, I'm about to rock out up here. There's something going on. Maybe somebody has their phone on or something. Maybe it's something else. Okay. Hey, I'll get with it here. Sometime I'll tell you about when he came to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. But I don't have time to do that today. We're going to get moving because I got a, I got a message in store for you. Welcome again. I'm, I'm just really, really happy to be with you today. I, I just stepped away from 40 years as a, uh, well, the last 24 years as a lead pastor in uh, Surrey, British Columbia. A year ago, July, and wh- one of the things that I've been doing since, one of the things, is that I've been coaching uh, pastors and working with churches, mainly across Canada, frankly. Uh, but one of the things I've been doing is I've been working on perfecting a new baptism technique. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when people actually, you know, are getting baptized, they, they don't really feel like the pastor's necessarily all the way in it with them. And so I've been trying to create something where people would actually get more out of the experience overall. So if we can show that, could we? Can you, can you believe that, you know, the, tell me the Lord doesn't have a sense of humor. This is, that was the last baptism I did in my pastoral career, right there. Like I go into eternity with that baptism on the record, right? I don't know. Does anybody want to be baptized today? Maybe I can change this. Listen, when is the last time you, somebody said, I dare you? When's the last time you had somebody dare you to do anything? Have you been dared lately? You, you need a dare. What is a dare? We know what a dare is. Hey, a dare is when there's somebody gives you a challenge to do that's out of the ordinary. Uh, now, then we got this thing called a double dare, right? A double dare is when you ramp the challenge up. Back in 2014, 2015, there was a challenge going on to dump a bucket of ice over your head. Remember that? Ice water. And here's a guy doing that, okay? Now, when you go from a dare to a double dare, you go to a double dog dare, and here's two double dogs we're going to see. Go ahead. Next slide. These are two double dogs on this dare. This was supposed to be a bucket of ice. Now, there you go. That's stepping it up. I've come to dare you today. Are you ready for a dare? Some of you need a dare. Some of you need a double dog dare, actually. Now, when I say daredevil, what are we thinking of? A daredevil is somebody who actually takes it to the extreme. Okay. 
Back when I was a kid, there was a guy named Evil Knievel. Any of you remember that dude? He was considered a daredevil, and that was crazy stuff he did. But you know, the youth of today have taken this stuff to a whole new level. Like extreme sports, uh, Evil Knievel had nothing on these extreme sports people. Some of you are probably here right now who do daredevilish kind of crazy stuff, right? Uh, when we, whenever we use the word devil, we, we, we tend to think of Satan, and, and that's not what we're going to think of today, but we're going to think of the extreme kind of dare. The Apostle Paul and his associates, Timothy and Silas, found themselves in a place where they had to go to a daredevilish kind of mode. And I'm going to challenge you with the same. Actually, it's not going to be me. It's going to be him. It's going to be the word of God. It's not my word. It's the word. And it comes from the word. If you want to see it in your own Bible, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me right now. Uh, one of the keys, in case you have a harder time finding it in your paperback Bible, is all the T's are together in the New Testament. Timothy, Thessalonians, and Titus. Chapter 2, and in chapter 2, we're going to read it together. In fact, let's, let's stand this morning. Can we stand and let's read it out loud. Let's not just have me reading it. Let's read it out loud together. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. speak as those who are proved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, but from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ. We could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children. So thank God continually as you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed a work in you who believe. Amen. May God bless his word. Go ahead and sit down if you would. Did you see the dare in the text as you were reading? It was found in uh, verse 2 where Paul said to us here in verse 2, he said, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously. Let that just sink in just a little bit. So the suffering is, is uh, described by the outrageous nature of the suffering in Philippi. As you know, he said, but with the help of our God, that's what we always go back to, we dared to tell you his gospel. 
We've already just had our cans kicked. We've already just been beaten and whipped and tortured in Philippi. And then we come into Thessalonica where you're at. And the environment isn't any nicer at all. In fact, it's probably worse. So if we're going to actually risk to tell you the gospel, if we're going to dare to tell you the same thing we told them, we know it might be in store. This is the setting. This is the context. This is what he's saying. But we dared to tell you the gospel even in the face of strong opposition. Why is this a message for Idlewild Bible? What does this have to do with you? Oh my goodness. Because you and I are waking up to a fact, aren't we? We're waking up to the fact that if we dare share the gospel with people in Idlewild today and the surrounding towns and cities, we're going to face what? Now here's what I want to modify this a bit, friends. I don't think you and I can claim to face strong opposition. <laughs> no. Come on. Let's get real. Okay. We're not facing strong opposition. The challenge is we've begun to face opposition and we're not prepared for that, are we? We really aren't. Because for much of our journey in our lifetime, in the time that we, in fact, if you're of my generation, you've probably been a part of what has been the richest history of the church and the growth of the church and the spread of the church and the breadth of the church and the wealth of the church and the fame of the church in all of history. I mean, this, this has been something like uh, the Roman Empire and making the Roman Empire Christian, but different in the sense that we've actually been preaching the gospel and people have actually applauded us in places. Listen, friends, I've gone to places where people applauded, people stood, people welcomed, people honored. Guess what? No longer. In fact, we're no longer the favored team. We're the, we're the rival enemy. We, we, instead, of, instead of getting welcomed and, hey, share the gospel, tell us about the Lord, we're getting booed at times. And guess what? We're not prepared. Church, we really need to toughen up. Times, hey, 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 can I tell you something? Newsflash. Times have changed. Hello? Anybody with me? Anybody out there? Anybody getting it like, like, like I'm seeing it myself? Hey, I'd like to share with you today, I'd like to share five things that if you and I are going to be faithful and share the gospel, I'm going to share with you five things that we're going to have to do. We're going to have to incorporate from the text if you and I are actually going to be faithful to share the gospel. It's given to us right from the text. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, it's in Jesus' mighty name that we come to you today. We're thankful that we serve a risen Savior. We're thankful that he modeled. It wasn't Paul that began modeling. Jesus endured great suffering to the point of shedding his own blood. And he endured the cross for us. Father, we want to admit to you this morning that, that uh, we're not really that tough. And we need to toughen up spiritually. We need to actually uh, 
uh, grow. And so I'm praying for my brothers and sisters this morning. All of us together would actually grow. Be strengthened by your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, as I've shared in the past when I've been here, I was actually saved in 1974 right down in Palm Desert. I was saved at a home in Indian Wells, California. Uh, the Lord was speaking to me and ministering to me up here at Idlewild. He was, you know, things were happening here in the 70s. And, and you know, there was an amazing movement of God. But back in the 70s, people, uh, you know, they weren't always, uh, they didn't always ask your permission to share. Like, like they just, you know, they just like come up and start going at it, right? And it's like, whoa, you know, I mean, that was not uncommon in the 70s to have somebody walk up and actually start talking to you about Jesus. And then we started to, you know, in the church, we started to think, you know, that's not really probably the best way to do it. You know, some people get offended by that and get turned off by that and all this kind of stuff. And so we created this thing in the church we call friendship evangelism. Any of you remember that? relational evangelism, friendship evangelism. The thought was is that you have to become friends with somebody first, and then after you've been friends long enough, then you've earned the right to be able to share with them Jesus. Any of you relate to that? Any of you been a part of that? And there was something very civilized about that and very nice about that, but one of the problems that happened is that Oftentimes when people would come into friendship and they'd actually spend all kinds of time with each other, by the time they'd won the right, they felt like they couldn't share because they were afraid they'd lose the friend. And so we have this, this deal of, of, you know, share the gospel with people you don't know or, or try to win friends and then try to lead them to, what do we do? And, and you know what, I come back to the scripture here and I think, that it's, it's not one or the other, and I'm not talking about unfriendly uh, evangelism. I think friendship is a part of a evangelism, but I think friendliness is more critical than friendship. I think how we approach people. The, the first thing that I see from the text, that if you and I are actually going to share the gospel, what's going to have to change is our motivation. And the first thing that, that, that we're, we need to do is that our number one motivation has to be obedience to the Lord. Look at, look at the text. He said, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. Nor are we trying to trick you. We've come to you as we're sharing the gospel We've come to you out of the highest and the purest motivation. We've come to you out of obedience to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you there's nothing like, there, there is no other thing that will purify your motives more than obedience. Obedience actually is the highest form of motivation, and it's one of the most difficult for most of us is to actually obey. We come back and say, hey, you know what? I don't want to do it because I have to. I don't want to do it because the Bible says I should. I want to do it because I want to feel love. Any of you relate to that? I want that too. You know, there's nothing that I enjoy more than when my emotions line up with my mind and what I know I, I, I should do. There's nothing more that I like when everything lines up inside me, but it's too few times that that happens. 
If I shared the gospel only when I felt like sharing the gospel or only when I felt like it would be a good idea or only when I felt like it might work, I don't know that I'd share very often. How about you? No, I think that obedience comes back to the issue of it doesn't matter if I feel like it or if I don't feel like it, if I think it's going to work or if I think it's not going to work. So you and I talk ourselves out of it. Like we look at people and go, oh my, they'd never listen. You know, they, they, you know that guy's so rough and he speaks so challenging and, you know, it's so angry or, you know, this guy's a drunk or this guy's into this or this gal's into this and they're not going to want to know. That's the devil speaking. Because those are the very people who do want to know. Whose hearts are broken, whose lives are messed up and mixed up in every fashion. You look at people that are wealthy and you go, gee, they're not going to want to know. They got everything. No, they got nothing. They got empty hearts and empty lives and they're trying to fill it with everything under the sun and they can't find meaning in anything. And you've got the gospel, friend. I come back to the old Nike slogan. Remember what the old Nike, what the old tag line, line was? Remember what it was? Just do it. Do it whether you feel like it or not. Listen, if you're a runner and you only run when you feel good, come on. You only run when you're, you know, in, in feeling up to it or your muscles are in every, your body's in great shape. Come on, you're not going to be much of a runner. The best runners there are are the runners that have run it every time when they're hurting, when they're in pain, when they're struggling, what have you. Just do it. Just obey. Just say, yes, God. I'm going to follow you, Lord. Okay? The second thing, if we're going to share the gospel in these growing hostile days, if we're going to share, we have to come to realize we are the ones who've been entrusted with the gospel. Okay, I, want you to, I, want, I want that to zing. I want that to get to you here. You have an entrustment. You're the ones that have been given the gospel to share. The Muslims are not going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The Hindus are not going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace, the Sikhs can't share the triune God. They're, they're not going to share how to get to heaven. You alone have been entrusted with the gospel. I want you to stop and think with me for a minute in relationship to the, what, what the apostle is saying here and how critical this is. What if they hadn't dared to share in the face of strong opposition? What if they hadn't dared? What if they hadn't taken the risk? What if they would have said, hey, what if Timothy would have said to Paul, hey, Paul, dude, we just got our butts kicked in the last city, man. I mean, like, I'm still trying to heal from this. These guys are not any, <laughs> obviously, they've got all these gods here. This probably isn't going to go well. What if they would have had that conversation? And then Paul, what if Paul would have said, you know what, I think you're right. How about if we, uh, how, how about if we head back to Jerusalem? How, how about if we just go back to our own place and our own people? Then guess what? None of you are here. 
None. None of you have salvation. None of you know Jesus Christ. Because the gospel was entrusted to them and they obeyed. It's been entrusted to you. And then the question is to you and I, well, what does that mean, this entrustment? What does it mean? It means that if you and I don't share it, it's not going to get shared. And here's the other deal, okay? I'm not sure if you've ever calculated this. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You ever thought about that? In the sense, I have grandchildren. God doesn't have any grandchildren. I might have great-grandchildren. God doesn't have any great-grandchildren. I cannot pass Jesus Christ down to my children. They are not Christians because their father was a pastor. My sons, our sons, had to be born again themselves. Christianity is one generation away from extinction. If those who are entrusted don't actually obey. Does that make sense? Wow. Hey, let me just stop and ask you quick. When's the last time you shared the gospel with anyone? That's, that, that can be kind of hard, can't it? And yet, we actually do need to come face to face with some of these very, very important realities, don't we? You know, if, if it's not going to be you and me, then who's going to do it? And, and if, if it's not going to be now, like when is it going to be? <laughs> right? When is it going to be? When, when would we? When might we? Start actually sharing the good news. Which leads me to the third point that if you and I are going to share the gospel in this environment that is actually very honestly growing increasingly difficult and challenging, I get it. I live in the culture. In fact, I live most of my life in a culture that's way, way past yours. If you think what's happening in the United States is challenging, come visit Canada with me for a little bit. Because they're about a hundred steps ahead. And it is really getting dark there. So <clears throat> I, I'm just saying that in the sense that I get what I'm saying, I get what I'm sharing, I get what I'm asking you, I get what I'm challenging you, I'm getting the, I understand the difficulty. The third thing is if you and I are going to overcome this difficulty, we've got to stop being people pleasers. Anybody going to admit to being a people pleaser? <laughs> Does anybody here in the crowd struggle with that at all? Hey, listen. Every one of us should have our hand up to some degree because it's not a person alive that doesn't struggle to some degree with people pleasing. It's in all of us. And yet some of us struggle a whole lot more than others. And the challenge is when you and I are worried about what, you know, what Ben's going to think, what 
I were to share with him, what is he going to think? What is he going to say? I mean, we also understand that we're in an environment today where the risk can be fairly significant on a number of levels, right? But the apostles knew and understood that. And so we got to come back to the Lord in this. And we got to come back seeking his help in this. We got to come back seeking his heart in this. Do you understand what happens when we actually are, are overcome by our people pleasing? What actually happens is we become idolaters. Now, I know that that's a hard thing to hear, but I want you to think through it with me. You see, whenever I'm more concerned about what somebody's going to think or say about me if I actually be me, then their words are controlling my actions. I'm allowing what I perceive that they will think or say. Now, sometimes it's actually your own perceptions, and you could get those wrong. That's the problem with this. But when I perceive, if I actually attempt to let you know my Christian faith and my Christian convictions, and I'm afraid that that might actually upend our relationship or, or, or you know, that you might not like me, that you might not speak well of me, that you might not want to see me. When I allow that to control, then I have put you in the place of God. Because I'm allowing your words and your your thoughts to be more important to me than my God's words and what he says. And whenever that happens, you actually switch places. And God is not in control, but the people you're afraid of, the people that you're wanting to please are in control. See, the apostles said, we're, we're not trying to please people. We're trying but God who tests our hearts and people-pleasing can be really hazardous to our spiritual health. You know, this, this deal of sharing friends um, and, and how to share and, and, and how to go about it, uh, it can be so simple if we're actually just yielded. And we're actually saying to the Lord, Lord, help me. See, I realize that some of you are introverts by nature. And so some of you are kind of have, you know, a wall went up right when I started talking because you're like going, oh, my goodness, like I, I have a hard time talking to anybody about anything. Like, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to talk to a lot of people. And if that's you, I get it. I do. I really do. I get it. It would be very hard for most of you to imagine that I'm actually more of an introvert than I am an extrovert. And I can't ex take the time to explain that today, but it's the truth. Because you're thinking, oh, my goodness, you're this preacher. You can talk to anybody. You do anything. No, actually, that's not true. Okay? Everything you see about me has become as a result of my obedience to Jesus Christ. And the fact is the power of God only gets released when you obey. When you obey, you see things that you wouldn't normally see. And then you enter into this entrustment and you quit worrying about what everybody else is going to think and say about you and you actually obey and do it. Then miraculous things start to happen in your life. You don't have to be anybody. You just have to be with Jesus. 
And so the reality is when you stop pleasing people, God will open up all kinds of doors, which leads me, uh, then let's, let's skip those two on, on worshiping people because I've already done that, and let's move to number four. Now, number four, if you're gonna, you and I are going to actually move into a place that God is using us to impact people's lives with the good news of Christ, the best news on earth, then we're going to have to obey we're going to have to realize that the entrustment is ours, the responsibility is ours. Nobody else is going to do the job, and, and no pastor can do it. And then we're going to quit pleasing people, but we stay humble. And this is what I like from the text. He says, we we're not looking for the praise of people, okay? So we, we're actually not concerned whether you like us or don't like us, whether you like our message or don't like our message. Not from you or anyone else, they said. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have come in and said, hey, buck up. We're apostles. Like, you're going to do what we tell you to do. They said, we didn't do that. What, what did they do? They said, instead, we were like young children among you. The quality of young children is where I'm getting humility. A little kid doesn't think they're big or little. You know, they're just a kid. They're just going to be who they are. Paul says, keep that attitude. Come into the room like you're a young child. Not like you're all that in a bag of chips. You know, like mm, trying to impress you with what I have, where I've been, you know, what my credentials are, my education, you know. Trying to impress you that I've, I am somebody. No, he says, stay low. Come, come low. Stay low. Be like a little kid. Let me tell you about one of the opportunities that God's given me, okay? And, and here, I, I, I share this with you because... I would hope it would help you to see in your own world and in your own context how simple this could happen. I, I go through walks in my neighborhood. I'm about an eight or 9,000 stepper a day. Uh, some of you are probably 20. Those firemen back there are probably 100. Anyhow, I'm going through my neighborhood. I go for a walk through my neighborhood, and I pass by this house on the corner, and it's trash cans out. We live in an HOA, and it's not supposed to be out for 12 hours, you know, there's a deal on this. It's not like Idlewild where you can leave cars everywhere. <laughs> you can't even leave your trash can out where I live. Anyhow, about four, three or four times I pass this house, trash cans out two or three days later. So I'm looking, there's a driveway, it's like an incline, and I thought, maybe, maybe this person has a challenge, right? So I, I just decided I'm going to take the trash can up to the garage. I did that two or three times, and then one night I'm knocking along, the garage door opens, boom, and here's this little lady. I mean, she's just a little bitty gal, and she's got oxygen mask on. And I said, hey, I, 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 I'm the guy that's been bringing your trash can up, and she says, oh, thank you. She said, it's all I can do to get my trash out. I said, hey, listen, I can change. I'm going to come and help you. Sunday afternoon, our trash is on Monday. I'll be here on Sunday afternoon. I do it every week for you. She said, you're kidding. I said, no, fine, tell me the time I'll be here. She tells me the time. I show up, garage door opens. I'm helping her get her trash collected. You know, after, after a week or two, she actually invites me inside. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, hey. Here we are. How can I help? Now I'm, now I'm actually changing light bulbs, and I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I'm fixing this and fixing that and little this and little of that. But hey, it's all been great. And, and so, but the, the, probably the third time I came, she said, just as I was leaving, she said, hey, why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? I said, I'm a Christian. Oh, she said, you're trying to convert me. That was what came out of her mouth immediately. I said, I'm not trying to convert you. Now, here's the truth, friend. Am I the one that converts anybody? Don't think for a minute you're the person that converts anybody. I got such a small part in this, it's ridiculous. If a heart's going to change, the biggest miracle you've ever seen is a changed heart. Okay? Nothing bigger than that. If heart's going to change, it's not going to be because of me. So I can honestly say, I'm not trying to convert you. Okay? She says, okay. Next question. This is that same day, same time. She said, tell me how you feel about the LGBTQ community. First question out of her mouth. I looked at her and I said, I love the LGBTQ whatever RSTUV community. I love them. You see what she's trying to do? She's trying to build a wall. Okay, she says, tell me how you feel about evolution. She's looking at, she's looking at, she's starting to bring up everything she can to try to figure out a way she's going to get, you know, get, block me, right? I can't go through everything that I talked to with her, but, but anyhow, about three months into me helping her, I mean, she was, she's really sick, and she actually could die at any time. She's got a terrible lung condition. And so I had been preaching one morning, and I had just gotten through sharing my testimony as part of the message. And when I went to see her that Sunday afternoon, I just felt the Holy Spirit going, dude, you got to step up the plate here. It's time for you to actually tell her how she can come to Christ. So I said to her, I said, Wendy, listen, I've just been to church. She knows all about my gig now. I've just been to church, just actually preached a message. I shared a bit of my testimony and how I came to Jesus. Can I share that with you right now? She said, sure. So I shared the testimony. I shared with her how I was in this bathroom and I actually looked to heaven and I said, Lord, if you come into my heart, I, I'm asking you to forgive me. I want to be your child. I'm receiving you as my Lord and Savior. Do you get that, Wendy? So she says, I'm a boo-jew. I said, what? She said, I'm a boo-jew. I said, wait a minute. What on earth is a boo-jew? She says, I'm a Buddhist, atheist, Jew. You're not going to convert me. I said, that's good. That's fine. I love Buddhist, atheist, Jews. Now, can I pray for you in Jesus' name? You know what she said? Yeah, you can and every time I go, I pray for her. And with her, I don't just say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. No. I say, can I pray with you right now? In Jesus' name. That started with a trash can. Was there any brilliance to that? None. You know what there was? A tiny bit of humility. A tiny bit of servanthood. A tiny bit. That's one of several stories just in my neighborhood. 
that have happened. I just ended up doing a funeral for one of my neighbors. Because I stopped on my bicycle and said, I've heard you're really going through a hard time. No idea where the guy was at. And I just said, hey, I'm a man of prayer. I believe in prayer. And you're going through a really hard time. Would you mind if I prayed with you? I didn't know what he believed. Guess what he said? No, get out of here. No, he didn't. I don't have people say that to me. He said, sure, would you really? And so that actually began a relationship that six to eight months later had, me, had him praying to receive Christ a week before he died. A week before he died. Oh, you say, well, again, well, you're a pastor, obviously. You know, this is what you guys do. No, you know what? I'm a follower. Not all pastors do what I do. And not all followers do what I do. I do what I do because I want to be obedient. Because I have an entrustment. Because we are one generation away from there not being a generation of Christians. And because I want to walk in humility. Amen? And I know you do too. I know you do too. Let's move to the fifth. And once we finish the fifth, I've got two questions because I've made two assumptions. The fifth is that uh, we must have a deep and abiding conviction that the Bible is the word of God. Listen to what he said to them as he was talking to them. Okay, so here he is. He's showing up in Thessalonica for the first time. And this is what he says to these people. He says, and we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Here's the fun thing. I can tell you something that I know about you, even that I don't know, even if I don't know you. But I can tell you why you're not sharing if you're not sharing. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to be prophetic. Crumb, after 40 years of ministry, you ought to know a few things, shouldn't you? You ought to be able to perceive a few things. If you're not in this book, I can just about guarantee you're not sharing. Because here's the thing. You get in this book, and you begin to learn, and you begin to understand that everything that's happening in our world today was spoken about, declared in detail. There are texts in this, in this holy book, as you know, that look as though they could be on the, the front page of our newspapers. They are so clear and so accurate. Listen, when you're in the word of God and then you begin to look at the, the societal breakdown in families, even what's happening in our churches, the struggles, the, 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 the pain, the, the, the craziness, all right here, all right here. And so as I read it, it gives me confidence that God actually did give us this revelation. And that confidence gives me the courage to actually say, this is true. I've got every confidence in the world that what I'm telling you, what I'm sharing with you is from 
God himself. From his word. Amen? Listen, friends, you're the only ones that have it. You've got all this truth. Hey, we're living in a pretty scary place right now. Hey, I'm not talking about Idlewild, California. I'm talking about planet Earth. We're living in a pretty scary place, are we not? And you and I will admit that sometimes we get scared ourselves. Hey, let's not get past that. But I want to tell you, here's the thing. You and I live like nobody else because we live with the assurance. Even though things are getting crazy, and I want to tell you, they're going to get crazier. This isn't going to all turn around. They're going to get crazier. But the good news is, Jesus Christ is alive. The good news is, he actually rose from the dead. The good news is, he actually will be in you and with you. And never will you be alone in this time. He will give you confidence and he will give you security and he will give you strength and he will give you power in a day when the nations are going crazy. Amen? Why aren't we sharing this? Hey, I've made two assumptions about you. We're going to skip to those assumptions just for time's sake. Two assumptions that I've made about you is this. I've made the assumption that you actually know what the gospel is. Now, and that's a pretty good assumption. Hey, some of you have been in church for all your lives. Amen? That's a pretty good assumption. I think that that's a fair assumption that all of you, that most of you should know what the gospel is. But here's the thing. Some of you might be sitting there going, gee, I like what you're saying. I think I know what the gospel is, but I'm not sure, and that's okay. Don't feel beat up. I want to clarify that. The second is, the second assumption of, I'm challenging you to share your faith, and yet I'm assuming you know how. And that too is not a good assumption, is it? That's probably an even worse assumption than the first. Sometimes we pastors, you know, and I'm talking to myself, is that, you know, I assume that I've shared this with my congregation and that everybody understands and should know how to do this, and that's a bad assumption. Some of you might not have confidence that you know how to share the gospel, and I want to help you with that as we're closing today, okay? I'll tell you what, so this is where I'm going to issue you my dare, okay? This is your official dare, okay? I'm daring you to share the gospel in the next 24 to 48 hours. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 <laughs> hold on. Like, that's getting a little pushy, preacher. Like, my goodness, I don't like anybody telling me I have to do it in a certain time or anything. Like, you're, now you're crossing some lines. Well, here's, here's my rationale. If, you don't take, if, you, if you're going to take this serious and you don't act on it, every hour that it counts down, you're going to get further away from the chance of doing it. I just know. Been around this too long. I know myself. <laughs> I know myself. Hey, so 
I'm going to share with you in just a minute, but I'm going to share it through a story. Two weeks ago, I was in Edmonton, and when I was in Edmonton, uh, I was uh, preaching on a Friday night and a Saturday. I was doing a training seminar in Edmonton, and then I, I, I had a flight booked for 6.30 a.m. That's when it's leaving on Sunday morning to fly back to Vancouver to speak in a church at 10 a.m. in Vancouver. I get on this plane, and of course, now listen, if the, if the flight's leaving at 6.30 and they started boarding at 6, and you're supposed to be there at least an hour, an hour and a half ahead of time, you've got to imagine that some of these people might not have even gone to sleep that night, right? I mean, people were up at 3, 2.33 to get to the airport, get, get done, and all this kind of stuff. So I get on this plane, I'm one of the last people to get on the plane, and, and that's intentional because I'm wanting to check out the lay of the land because I'm back in the cattle cars and, you know, where my, my six foot four frame is going to be crunched up into my nose. And so I'm seeing all these, you know, seats up front with leg room and stuff. So I passed the stewardess and I said, hey, you know, when, this, when we get ready to go on all this stuff, and we, is it all right if I switch my seat? And she said, sure, yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. So I get to my seat. And there's this really nice-looking black guy sitting by the window. I mean, he's dressed to the nines. He's got on this gorgeous jacket. I mean, dude was looking sharp. He was from Paris. And I mean, he just, I, you know, immediately he started talking to me. And I go, oh, no, Lord. I've got some preparation to do. I'm, did you forget, Jesus? I'm speaking this morning. So the gal comes back and says, do you want to move now, sir? And I said, no. I've got a new friend. <laughs> so this guy and I start talking, and he was so delightful. I was enjoying him so much. His name was Ramses. And, and uh, we're talking, and, and he's a builder in, this, in the uh, Vancouver area. And, and so I said, Ramsey's man, you know, so I don't tell him who I am. I don't tell him what my gig is. He knows nothing, okay? So he doesn't know, know anything. So I said, how's everything going? Like, you, you know, the house, housing market's gone crazy, and now the interest rates have gone up, and the supply chain issues and all this stuff. And he's going, oh, man. So this is about five minutes worth of conversation we're having. And then for some reason, he said something about faith. I said, oh, so you're religious. I said, I'm interested in that, Ramsey. I said, Ramsey's, if, 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 I, if I actually wanted to become a Christian, could you tell me how to do that? He said, yeah. I said, would you do that? He said, sure. He says, it's like this. He said, if you actually make a mistake and you didn't mean to do what you did, uh, that's okay, God will forgive you. But if you do something and you actually meant to do it and it was wrong, that's it. You're finished. I said, dude, like, that's a little harsh. One time and you're done, gone. He said, yeah, that's it. I said, that's, wow, man, that's really something. My goodness. So I said, hey, Ramses, can I tell you something? He said, sure. I said, you're going to get a little test this morning. In fact, God's providing it. You're sitting next to a preacher. He goes, oh, really? I said, Ramses, 
If I were to ask you, uh, if I were to give you the word gospel, and I were to ask you, what does it mean? What would you tell me? And he thought about it for a minute. He said, well, I know it has something to do with like going some, you know, go somewhere. I said, yeah, that's part of it. But what's the actual message? What does it mean? He said, I don't know. I said, Ramsey, would you allow me to take a few minutes? I can do this in three to four minutes. Would you allow me to share with you what the gospel is? And he, he said, yeah. He said that he would. And so I'm going to share with you exactly what I shared with him. In fact, because I was preparing to do a similar presentation that day, I, I had this presentation with me. And uh, I'm going to, the problem is we can't, uh, we can't see it from up there. So you're going to have to deal with me on my little computer. But I'm going to run through this very, very quickly with you. If I can get my act together here on my, uh, I'm hitting play from current slide and it's, uh, I'm not at the right one. Okay, so you're, gonna, you're not going to get to see it like I want you to, but on the screen up there, it's not the same. The gospel starts with God, friends. God is the gospel. He's the heart, he's the essence, he's the root. Without God, you do not have a gospel. Then the reality is, is that you have God and man, and they are very, very different. And what is different about them is that God is actually holy, meaning pure, righteous, and just. There's no sin in God. He cannot sin. He's perfectly holy, totally pure, nothing wrong with him. He's never done anything. He never will do anything. And because of that, the reality is, is that man is sinful. You've never met a person who's not a sinner ever, ever in your life. I don't care how bright they are, how brilliant they are, how smart they are, how much money they are, how big they are, how little they are. You've never met a human being that's not a sinner. And it isn't just one thing we've done wrong. We have done thousands, some of us millions. You guys back there on the back, maybe billions, I don't know. The reality is, is that our sin results, he was right in one sense. He wasn't totally wrong. When he said, no, you're done, he was right. You are done. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news. Everything we did wrong, death. History, hell, eternity. And all it takes is one thing right. To receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ. And he says, God says this. He says that it's for everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've come from. LGBTQ, I don't care. Thief, liar, murderer, prostitute, male or female, drug addict, I don't care. Because he said he loves everybody. Right? And then he said this. John 1.12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Whoever it is, if you'll receive him, he'll come into your life and make you his child. Amen? And then you pass over from life, from death into life. And that's what I shared to him. I said, that can happen to you. And is there any reason why you wouldn't want to invite Christ into your life this morning? Now, I don't always say that because I don't always, uh, there's a discerning process. Sometimes you're sowing and watering. 
and sometimes you're actually supposed to reap, you have to discern where the person is at. Because of the level of his engagement, I sensed that I was supposed to ask him if he wanted to receive Christ that morning. He didn't, and that's okay. And I'll continue to pray for him and ask you to do the same. Ramses was his name. But here's where we come to you. I double dare you. In fact, I double dog dare you to receive the challenge that Paul is giving us, God is giving us through Paul's words in Thessalonians today for the sake of those in your life because you have a Wendy in your life. And some of you have a Ramses and some of you have a Norma Jean like I have in my life who I buried her husband and a neighbor, Sam. And some of you have had people in your life for a long time and you got, you're like good friends with them, but they don't even know you're a Christian. And that's where you got to start. And you go, oh, no, Kevin, I couldn't do that. Remember that people pleaser thing? <coughs> I couldn't do that. My ruined relation, they might not like me anymore. Well, good. Obedient. Here's the thing. It's how you do it. So I'm encouraging you in the next 24 to 48 hours to actually call or even write. It could even be a, an email. It could be, you could message them. You could go, oh my goodness, you know what? Here's the thing. I was just in church. And, and this guest preacher came in and he said that most people have never heard the gospel or understood it. And, I, and I'm just checking with you to say, is that true? I, I've never told you that I, that I go to church. I do. And it's a really important part of my life. But I took his challenge and I'm coming to say, have you ever heard the gospel? Do you understand what it is? And if they say, yes, I do, then you say, gee, would you share it with me? And if they say no, you say, could I have three or four minutes to share it with you? For the sake of the next generation, would you obey God? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we come to you today with gratitude. Grateful for Paul. <laughs> Grateful first and foremost in and out, through and through for Jesus. Without Jesus, none of this happens for us Gentiles. But we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his great love and great work in, in bringing us to you. And then we thank you for this character, Paul, his, his associates, Timothy and Silas, who were willing to just go crazy for you for the sake of us, for the sake of the gospel. And then we come to us. And first, I just want to say, friends, you might be here today and, and actually, as I've shared, you might be actually in the place of wondering whether or not you've actually really ever received Christ. You've known these things, you've understood these things, but have you ever received Christ? And I'm going to ask you right now, if, if you're not sure, if you're confused in any way, don't beat yourself up. It's nothing to be ashamed of. 
But let's, let's put the stake in the ground. Let's put the flag in the ground today. And I want to invite you right now to pray with me. So if you've never received Christ before, just pray with me right now in your heart of hearts. You don't have to speak out loud, but just say, Lord Jesus, say it in your heart, Lord Jesus, come into my life, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me for my sins, Lord. Make me your child. Say that. Make me your child. And the best I know how, the best I know how, I'm giving my whole life to you. Every bit of it. The best I know how. And if you're praying that with me right now today, would you raise your hand wherever you're at? Just raise it up. Yeah. I'm receiving the Lord. Don't, no looking around. Don't look around. This is a private thing. Anybody? Raise your hand. I'm receiving the Lord. I want the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Bless you. Bless you. Yeah. Wonderful. And then for you, those of you, my brothers and sisters, allow me to push you a little bit. We so don't like to be pushed, I know, but it's important. I'm so grateful for the people who've had the courage to push me at times, challenge me to do things that I wouldn't do, say things to me that I didn't want to hear, risk hurting me, risk offending me. I needed to be hurt at times. I needed to be offended at times. I was so full of myself. If you'll take this challenge, and this isn't a pride thing now, let's go low, let's go humble. If you'll humbly take this challenge to say, yes, I'm going to do this in the next 24 to 48 hours. By the grace of God, by the strength of God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And the reason why I'm going to ask you to do that, friend, is because it matters to commit ourselves like it actually does. So if you would, commit yourself to do it, would you raise your hand? Yeah, yeah. And Lord, I'm just praying for, this isn't going to be out of moxie. It's not going to be out of intelligence. It's not going to, none of those things it's going to be out of grace because you're going to give strength and we're going to thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.